0: What's up everyone and welcome to The Dorm Room, I'm Baxter Friedman. And I'm Charlie Rook and this is a podcast where we interview some cool people and hopefully learn some cool things along the way. Let's get into it. What is up everyone and welcome to this edition of The Dorm Room. We're here alongside Andy Torbert, the British underwater explorer and stunt double. So Andy, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh I was um we we're doing some rehearsals. I worked some as a stunt man as well. So doing some stunts the last week for oh, something. Wow. It was it was all it's all good. Just uh, involved getting kind of smashed around underwater for a little bit. Uh but <laughs> it's all good, you know, it's quite it's quite nice. Holy uh, crap.
2: Um, well, I guess um for everyone that like is uh listening, uh tell tell them a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah. So, uh, as you said, you know, the, the, what I do best is is underwater stuff. So I'm a, I'm a cave diver and sort of technical diver, and free diver, and do exploration projects on on that front underwater. Uh, I'm also a skydiver. So skydive for for Team GB and do wingsuiting and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm, I used to be a climber and a mountain guide. Um, and all, all that really started from the forces. I was in I was in the I was in the British uh, Army for for quite a long while. Um and now between although I do all those things kind of professionally I also spend a lot of time uh, these days doing doing stunts again be the base of a military past or the skydiving or the water stuff or, or or whatever. Um and that's kind of that's kind of my 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 job which handily is also my hobby which is nice. That is freaking amazing. Uh I mean
2: wow that's a pretty big resume. Uh <laughs> so I guess I um starting from the beginning like how did all the, I mean, you said that like you were in the military, and that's kind of how you got into it. But whenever you were younger, did you do all these kind of crazy things just as a kid, or like what got you into it?
1: Yeah, I did. So I, I actually grew up um, in the Highlands of Scotland, so which is you know a, a, the most kind of wild part of the UK. So I never really got, got into the outdoors. I was just that was just part of life. You, you you didn't really have playgrounds or parks to play in. You just left your house, and there was a loch or a or <laughs> a lake your river or a load of forest or a hill or mountain to go and that was your playground. So you just, you just went and did it. Um, and then, but when I moved into the city, into Aberdeen, when I was a teenager for a few years, uh, I started rock climbing then, um, around sort of sea cliffs, and okay. then, um, and and diving as well, and you know, because back then you could start scuba diving quite young, <clears throat> and it didn't cost that much. You know, as a working class lad, but I had a I had a paper round, so I used to deliver, you know, newspapers on my on my, on my push bike, yeah. um, like for like seven quid a week, which I don't know was like ten dollars a week, um, uh, and and that paid for me because the, the junior memberships at the local diving club was like fifty pence, like fifty cents a week. That's- and then I'd get and because I went on my own, like i my parent, my mum, I was living with Mum and she, you know, she didn't dive in and that sort of stuff, but but I kinda of was motivated to go, Russ, what I want to do, right? I'll just go off my, my backside and just turn up to this, you know, purpose an adults diving, you know, scuba diving club and going, right, I want to join, I want to learn they're like, um, okay, you know, that's uh, <laughs> unusual. Okay. Um, you know, often i get people's old second hand bits of kit. So I had um an old second hand like wetsuit trousers and I actually had a, had, a, had a woman's wetsuit jacket which clearly bulged in all the wrong places especially when i was yeah. like a you know, skinny little sort of 12 year old um and you i go out diving in the north sea uh, off scotland which for those who don't know is absolutely freezing you know but <laughs> here as a kid i come out like with blue fingernails and blue lips and, like the you know the sinuses when you're saying really cold didn't care. I was far harder as a kid, I think, than I am. If I started diving in those conditions now, I'd be like, this is rubbish, and give up after, like, you know, one one go. Um, so, yeah, I did all that sort of stuff, then then I, then I, I um, when I joined the forces, clearly, you know, that that gives you the opportunities to do all that sort of stuff, um, kind of, not only, you know, for, for in, in the kind of recreational sports stuff as well, but doing it in the kind of military fashion, you know, mm-hmm. aggressive, aggressive camping, as they call it, um, you know, you're out in the field, uh, and, and say when the sky dive. like, so I did military diving and I did underwater bomb disposal. Um, and Wait, hold on, hold on. Did you say military bomb disposal? Underwater bomb disposal. Yeah. Holy crap. So I was, well, I was, in a, I was in a unit that was sort of commando para bomb disposal. So that's like, you are, um, kind of, I don't know the equivalent, like Rangers, I suppose, um, the U.S. Rangers and the Commandos are like the Marines, but they're more specialist than the U.S. Marines. They're more like I don't know what the one up from U.S. Marines are, but anyway, that sort of stuff. But and doing bomb disposal, so um, within that, we show the idea being like you'd, if 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 you if there's an enemy, say, had taken a, a an airport, for example, so one of the ones you should practice quite a lot. We could skydive in or, or or jump in land and then clear because often they they'd, they would mine or booby trap the airfield so we'd we'd parachute in to clear that so the planes and helicopters could then land with the rest of the troops and then a sub unit of that was was doing underwater stuff um and and then part of that whole unit was doing uh was attached or, or made up part of the the british sort of maritime counter kind of terrorist unit as well so yeah i did all that for a bit um which was was good, uh, um, you know. I loved it. It was it was it was pretty cool, and you you gain a lot of skills. Um, yeah. and then got to a point where inevitably, in the forces, you get sort of promoted as you get a bit older to the point where you're you're getting, you're gonna get further and further back from the front line. You know, yeah. which is fine. You know, and it's necessary, but it wasn't for me, and it's not for a lot of guys. We tend to we tend to hemorrhage kind of personnel. At a, a roughly around of 28 to 32, because that seems to be the bracket when people start getting too far back from the interesting stuff. Um, and, and you might know, start why, why I, I joined. So, um, yeah, I left and, and I worked in the X Forces world for a little bit just to pay the bills while I was doing my own expeditions, uh, mostly diving related, kind of, you know, searching for shipwrecks or wildlife stuff um cave diving exploration stuff um and then i was involved in tv doing a lot of safety work or or on screen but doing you know do again based on the, the cave diving the skydiving the climbing whatever that sort of stuff is um um and making a living from that. And then really the stunt work came around in 2019 when I started doing some work on the James Bond film. It was kind of a couple of years. So I was on that for a year. And I'll continue ever since. Um, uh, you know, the one thing I love about the stunt world, I mean, the stunt, it's always good fun. It is. It's, it's, you know, you're getting paid to, you know, dress up and... Yeah. and, and do stuff but it's the people that, that i've got some some of my closest friends uh that i work with a lot or in stunts and, and there's some of us and it's it's kind of akin to being back in the military because people around about you who you're really good friends who you trust who are all highly motivated highly professional you know um super reliable and just cool to hang about with so um but in this case no one's shooting at you well yeah well, that's well, they, all nice. are, they all are using blanks and it's you know it's all pretend so uh so yeah. it's uh it's a bit easier that in that respect <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is one of the craziest backgrounds I think I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Um which is absolutely so odd. I mean, that was wild. <laughs> um but I mean, you mentioned the military a lot. It sounds like that was like a very large part of who you are. So, did you know like did you have a passion for the military? Um like at a bit of a younger age did you always know you kind of wanted to go into the forces or how how did that happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, it- You know, I've I'm now I've not actually been I've been out now longer than I was in. I was in for ten, just almost eleven years. Um, but it was you know from twenty to kind of thirty thirty one. It was so it was that sort of formative years when I kind of I don't know developed as an adult. So, you know, I will forever be an ex soldier Mm -hmm. rather than civilian. Uh, It's just how I am. even now, you know, you ask my wife and she's like, yeah, he still operates like he's in the forces like his timings and his kit and everything. it's just it's, you know institutionalized maybe some would, some would say but I think it's a good thing but yeah. um yeah so as a kid growing up like my my mum's side of the family were farm workers my dad's side were well coal, coal miners oh wow and I think it, this, similar things might be happening in the US but say back in the 1980s uh, in the UK they closed all the coal mines down so everyone was out of work so you know these little coal mine towns where well, there was just no work and it was, you know, economically it was quite bad. So one of the ways to get out was to join the forces. Um, okay. I, I, so I think that was always kind of the forefront of myself, and my brother's minds, my older brother. And as a kid, you know, we, we would, we, we had posters on the walls and, and, you know, action men like, like GI Joe, could, yeah, you know, and, and we used to play soldiers. that's what we did. So I think it was always there as, as, you know, growing up as a couple of boys and, um, he joined the army at 16. Um, and I'd see him come back. You know, he he went off to South Georgia. I was down, down in, in Antarctica and the Falkland Islands and, you know, places like that and other islands, Cyprus and all these cool places, um, and come back with, you know, a car and, and money in his pocket. And even though yeah. he was, you know, a private, so effectively he was earning nothing compared to who people back home he seemed to be living like a king and traveling the world. It's like, that's a cool lifestyle. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and pick up some cool stories along the way as you do. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, I think it was always there as the kind of, that's the smart choice. Um, And that kind of, that kind of just, you know, solidified the idea. And and I think the other thing was that your options, actually not saying your options were limited, but it seemed that your options were limited because, I think these days, especially things like social media, your eyes are open to the world and the possibilities. Yeah, and you can potentially be anything. But but back then, um, you know, I had no idea. I mean, I had no idea a stuntman was a job I could do. I mean, who that? I'd not a clue that was a thing. And You can just <laughs> like these days, you can literally if you especially in the UK. Um, I think it works slightly different in the US, but you can just let it go how to be a British stuntman. And it'll it'll forward you to the British Stunt Register, which is like the British kind of stunt almost union. <laughs> And, it, and on, it's just, here's how you join. And it gives you a, a list of things that you've got to do. It's not easy, but yeah. it is simple in the sense that, you know, you do these eight things and then you can you can join. It's, it's as simple as that. It's not easy because those those things take a lot of training and time and effort to qualify for those dis- different, uh, different disciplines. But mm-hmm. um, the information is there. If I was like, I want, how do I become a professional bobsleigh person? You know, yeah. the, you know, the information is probably there on the, the net or <laughs> – you know, you go on Instagram, you could probably find somebody who's a you know part of the US Bobsley team and just DM them. Yeah. So that I mean that wasn't available in my days. so uh, you know, it was kind of I was like, well, I don't I can't be a coal miner, not that I wanted to be anyway. I don't want to work on a farm, I don't want to work in an office, okay, I'll join the army. That was the your options were see they probably weren't limited, but they seemed to be limited. Um whereas now I think you know, you can you could at least try and follow a path to pretty much anything who knows if you make it or not but if you want to be a stuntman then you pretty much google it these days of, of how to be one yeah well holy crap but yeah i mean that i mean it makes sense uh i
2: mean times are probably a lot or they are a lot easier now but uh yeah so i actually talking about coal mines and everything i i saw that you um had I guess, was it recently whenever you went and did a uh, scuba diving expo-
1: uh, expedition in an abandoned coal mine? Um, I've done quite a few mines. I've never done a coal mine. Um, coal okay. mine. Yeah, yeah. Coal, it's, it's all... Um, so if you Man. cave diving, mean, most caves are pretty stable environments, mm-hmm. um, whereas coal mines, because they're man-made, mm-hmm. um, they're fairly unstable, depending on what okay. they're... But depending on what the kind of rock is, what they've been mining. Coal mines are pretty unstable anyway. Um, okay. even, even when they're being mined, but that's where they, you know, in modern times, they show them up and put all these sort of supports in, mm. but when they're flooded, they become really dangerous. The other thing that they tend to be like nil-vis, because imagine if, it, if there's actually coal still there, the water's oh, in it, yep. it's, like, it's like, you know, try to dive in black coffee. You won't be able to see anything anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah, we've got loads of flooded coal mines in the UK and no one dives in them because you know, Uh-oh. I got an email. Not an email, yeah, I got an email actually from a from a guy a few years ago. Say, hi, I'm, I'm, I want to learn the cave. There's some guy from the UK. So I want to learn the cave dive, and I, and I want to go. There's some coal mines around me that I flooded. I want to investigate. And I said, look, mate, I'm not the fun police. I'm not going to tell you what to do and what not to do. It's great that you're you're going to get into cave diving. I, I really encourage it. Um, I would personally not dive in coal mines for these reasons. A, you won't be seeing. Secondly, they're they're hugely unstable and dangerous. I said, you've only got to look at how many top level cave divers we have in the uk uh-huh. and none of them dive in coal mines what is what does that tell you yeah i'll leave the rest up to you mate um never heard back from him i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing to be honest but there we go <laughs> that's awesome but yeah but see there's other other mines that have dived in some in the uk and some abroad mm-hmm. like um oyamo tends to be the one that everyone has seen me do because it's mm-hmm. hell's Gate. It's got a famous picture, um, Hell's Gate. Yeah, I think that's the one I saw. Um, yeah, oh, it's an amazing place. It looks like a like an abandoned alien city, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So um, um, and what's great about these mines is that the water tends to be gin clear, um, phenomenally clear, and... Um, it's halfway between like a cave dive and a shipwreck dive. In that you know, it's not. It's obviously man-made. And there's relics of there's like doors and there's stairs and there's tools and there's machinery. Yeah. And then like Hell's Gate is this huge flat white sort of concrete, massive wall they've built to uh, yeah. in, in support this huge cavern. Um, and it and it is, you know, like. It is like being in outer space when you've got like 50 meter visibility, 150 feet visibility in these huge chambers. It's just blackness apart from because the chambers are so big, it's, it's, it's black apart out to the sort of edges of your torch beam. Yeah. Come across this massive, you know, 50 foot wall um, with a sort of slot in the middle as a door. That's going to be kind of scary to like just look at it and be like, I mean, I don't know. That would, that would scare me at least. I don't know. It's pretty abstract. It is like, it's like of, you know Prometheus. It is, it is a, it is a, it is a very surreal. Even and I've seen photographs. I've made the dives. When I first dived it, I was still like, "This is the most God, I don't know, I don't know, wondrous or bit bizarre thing I've ever seen underwater." Um, which is which is almost I, mean, I feel, almost feel bad about because I've dived with like lots of different kinds of sharks and whales. Yeah. You know, I've seen some amazing shipwrecks. So to be that sort of blown away by what is effectively a big concrete wall is uh yeah. but it, it's just it's just the setting is incredible you, you know and you say so you see the photograph a lot of people have seen the photograph and go oh, it's amazing oh yeah it is you, you almost don't want to tell me it's just a massive concrete wall because it kind of <laughs> takes a, 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 a romance and the majesty of it but that's really all it is but it still look but it is and it does blow you away um it's quite a tricky dive though because we dived it in winter because the best conditions for filming because we're filming wow. making a little film there um as, as far as sort of clarity goes of the water but it means Finland in, in you know is in the Arctic Circle. So that in winter it was I think it's only it's like minus sixteen Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, um, uh on the surface. And then it's fresh water. Mm-hmm. Um so that you've got it's ice on the surface, it's frozen up. So you've got to smash the ice to get in. And then um inside the mine itself, so the entrance is about is about sixty feet, twenty meters, sixty feet down. Mm-hmm. Um and then Hell's Gate, you dive through this labyrinth of, of, of tunnels uh, on a scooter, and underwater sort of DPV. Oh, yeah. Take you through the, all these um, tunnel network to, to reach Hell's Gate. And Hell's is not that deep. It's about 60 metres at depth, so it's about 180, oh. to, to say 200 feet. Um, although if you go through Hell's Gate, it takes you to a thing called Lucifer's Pillar, and that's down, it's 100 metres, so that's like 330 feet deep. Okay. But they're like, they're like kilometres, you know, or you're a mile, mile and a half inside the the passageways you quite 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 a long way and if not that deep um and you spend like two and a half hours in there we, we were filming this thing and then you've got decompression to do so you've got a couple of hours of decompression to do which is hanging you know doing nothing oh, wow. um <laughs> in the top kind of 10 meters like 30 feet but because it's so cold it's what we call a reverse thermocline so it's colder mm. at the top part so it was zero degrees celsius oh wow which you get yeah so you spend like a couple of hours doing nothing, hanging around, just freezing to death. It's just it's, it's horrendous. It's just so cold. But you can't get out of the water because you've got you've got to decompress otherwise you know you'll get you'll get a bend. You'll get um, decompression illness. Mm-hmm. Um and then what happens is cause it's so cold. You get back to the surface and you've got to take one of your sort of um your bailout, your backup bottles yeah. off and smash a hole in the ice to get back out because you know it's frozen up over you. Oh my gosh. Wow. So you're actually underneath and you're having to smash up to, yeah. to get up. Wow. Yeah. That is- it's not that thick because it's only like, that, that was the thing. So I, I didn't know this, the first dive and I, as I went to surface, because the, the, the ice that's, the, that's been there for days and days, weeks and weeks, is quite thick. It's quite opaque. It's like quite white. Mm-hmm. But the little bit that you've broken is that's frozen in the few hours you've been underwater is it, quite thin and it's really clear. So I I couldn't I, it looks like glass right so I I so I surfaced I banged my head in it because it looked for me as a suffering. and there was it yeah. was like it, it was the hole bang and I was like oh this is, this isn't great and obviously in my head I didn't stop to think well it's only going to be like you know half an inch thick or a quarter of an inch thick I was like oh my god it's it's frozen above my head so I managed to get under it. And it was shallow enough, I could actually get my feet on the on this sort of lake bed. So uh-huh. I took off this big bottle, this 80, 80 cubic feet bottle, like I think it's uh, I've made it like solid aluminium. And oh, wow. I, was, I prepped, prepped myself. Come on, on. here we go. I <sighs> tried to, to, try to smash a hole in, in this ice, which in my head was like feet thick, you know, like a, and obviously it was about a quarter of an inch thick. So I <laughs> smashed it, and literally my bottle would fly out of my hands, went flying off through the hole and <laughs> let go like. Oh, oh, oh yeah! It's it's literally about you know a couple of millimeters thick. Yeah, okay. Nice. So it's punch, punch the rest out really easily. You always break it off your hands and it's climbed out. But yeah, I was a bit. Um, you hit the ice. You go, my god! It's frozen over me. Right, go. <laughs> you know, it's that's tasty, that's, awesome. Tasty thin. That's, a real, that's awesome. I mean, that's
0: that's really really cool. Um, so I it kind of sounds like the. I mean, actually, no. This is the question I want to ask first. So we talked about how incredible that dive was to you and that you've also done some other ones is that the main one in your head that sticks out when people ask for your like um coolest or craziest exploration or do you have any others that come into mind
1: i do yeah that, that's what lot that of people ask about because they've seen the, the photograph but i mean i've dived i've dived britannic so britannic is titanic's twin sister so um, um yeah yeah so it's, a, it's basically an identical Titanic that sits in the Aegean Sea off the coast of Greece um, in 120 metres, like four, 400 feet deep. Mm-hmm. So it's a technical dive. You can not dive it, but you're using rebreathers, mixed gases, all that sort of stuff to stay alive. Um, mm-hmm. And that's pretty special um, yeah. because it's, it looks like Titanic, uh, and you can't really dive Titanic these days. And, it's, and Titanic's very broken up, but it's Britannic. Um, it was actually being used as a hospital ship in World War One. So it would sail into the Med, pick up thousands of injured troops, um, and then you know take them back to to Britain to be to be sort of sorted out. Huh. Um and it, it made like four or five voyages, and then it's I think its fifth voyage, it hit a German sea mine when these you know those kind of almost cartoon things, big big balls with the spikes sticking out at the one of the sea mines. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. Um uh and it sunk. But everyone got off alive, um, but it sank. Okay. And um, but so apart from a whole you know, on the front end, and not that big a hole in the front end. It's completely intact, and it's really well preserved. You know, you can look inside the the, the bridge, and you can see all the all the machinery and that and the bridge, and the wheels, and the, all that's the tillers and, and the, the telegraphs and that. You can actually look behind the bridge of the captain's cabin, and his bath is still there with this plug on a chain, and, the <laughs> and all. You know, it's really well preserved, uh, and cool. the, whole, the whole shipwreck is is it, you know it's got it, it looks like Titanic or what Titanic <laughs> looked like before it sank it doesn't look like no no yeah that is crazy
2: i didn't even realize that uh i mean i knew that titanic had a a twin but i thought i didn't even realize that sunk so i didn't even realize that it had even sailed but uh so uh, yeah that i mean that's just insane did you um have you ever had to like or whenever you were scuba diving i guess out in the ocean stuff did you uh have to like I don't know do anything crazy like fight sharks or something like that? or like did you see sharks or
1: like oh yeah yeah know I know I to fight sharks I think is uh most of the time you're probably gonna lose that one to be honest yeah, if probably, you're yeah, under, underwater sense. you know it's it, you know I'm I'm not bad underwater but it, we're still flailing idiots who are not designed to be there compared to sharks yeah who have had hundreds of millions of years to evolve to become very good at operating underwater um but yeah I've seen like uh, scalped Hammerheads And I've, I've freedive with uh, shortfin Makos, That's the fastest shark in the world Off mm-hmm. the coast of California um, Freedive with blue sharks um, Basking sharks um, Yeah, I've done quite Quite a few shark ones What else have I done with sharks? What have done? Not great whites I've not freedived with great whites yet uh, um, Any like uh, Bull sharks? I know those things are really aggressive So I don't I don't yeah know. so i mean probably the, the the most or the one that I, i'd be most cautious with is oceanic white tips probably okay um not to be mistaken for white tip reefs a mm-hmm. white tip reef shark is a tiny little uh, like, a, like a tiny little shark that's this this more scared of you than you are of it they're absolutely fine you see a lot of them when people go on holiday in, in the caribbean or in in the red sea and in places like that and, and 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 in asia you know Bali, places like that people go and they see these little little sharks or white tips but the oceanic white tip is um you know oceanic white is bull shark i suppose i suppose the um the the great white shark but um
2: well wait, wait, actually a, have you ever seen a whale shark before
1: or have you ever done uh scuba dive with I, one of those? Not seen a whale shark that's what i'd love to do you know it's the biggest okay. fish in the sea. yeah um, like we get basking sharks in, in the uk which are the second biggest they're pretty see. freaking awesome but um yeah whale shark. and the only thing with whale sharks is 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 that a great sort of pr kind of machine because they are super safe you know they are yeah. up, you've got no teeth they're super safe to get in the water with so you know you can get people in there with them and, and even kids and that sort of stuff and you've got to be cautious about not making sure you're not disturbing the shark um but um you know a place like the Maldives and that they they are very safe yeah most to get in the water with um and if people can see them and they go oh, these are amazing creatures that, that all helps the whole ocean conservation effort which is which is not a bad thing yeah
0: yeah i mean and it's also it sounds like so you travel around a lot um for these expeditions and stuff so i mean i was just kind of curious uh, what's the best place you've been to like what place have you been to and enjoyed the
1: most i don't know i, I was out in arizona uh in october i quite enjoyed that it was quite cool yeah because yeah it was it was the world skydiving championships so i was out there um competing for for team gb in speed skydiving what? Uh, and uh, okay yeah so there's lots of different disciplines for those who don't skydive there's lots of different disciplines within skydiving from like you know there's wingsuit and there's formation stuff and there's, there's campy pilot and all this stuff so i compete at speed skydiving which to be fair is probably the easiest discipline for a non scab to understand okay. because it's pretty much what it says on the tin <laughs> in that you jump up a plane and the fastest person wins. It's just, it's as simple as that. It's a very basic, um, you know. And the idea is you you exit um, and you usually go head down, um, and you try and minimise your drag. So you know your your pen, your pencil, and in so your feet are together, toes pointed, hands by your side, all that stuff. Um, but the problem is, it's it it's like trying to balance a pencil on its tip. You know, your body wants to tip over mm. to a nice stable position, which is that belly to earth, the hands and legs spread, you, you see, you know, the kind of st- normal skydive position that people think of. Mm-hmm. Um it wants to do that. So you're trying to stay, you know, in this super um minimal, minimal drag um position. And you've got this lot of skill to kind of correct that. And you you again you want to microconnect correct it. You're sticking your hands, your arms, your feet out, it's just gonna create more drag and slow you down. Mm-hmm. So um, you go as fast as you can d- down to the bottom gate, like down to sort of five and a half thousand feet, and then you okay. stop, and then you track away. You slow yourself down as much as possible, and then pull your parachute. I got you. Uh, because parachutes are designed to open at about 120 miles an hour, whereas you know the top speeds. Well, well, Marco Hepp broke the world record at the at the championships in Arizona in October, and I think he got um something. Ah, like, oh, is it? three hundred and thirteen miles an hour. Jesus. Wow. Well, so how yeah. fast did you go? Oh, I, I was like two hundred and seventy something. Yeah, yeah, I was I, I, I mean
2: that's still pretty freaking fast. Right?
1: I'm, I'm, all, I'm all right, but I'm not world class. Yeah. You know I'm <laughs> I'm, 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 actually, I'm actually naked to the championships. I think I'm going to the World Cup again this year in Hungary, but you know I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. going to win any medals. The the top guys, the sort of five or six guys in the world who are reg on every jump because it's it's an average of your eight jumps uh, and there's five or six guys who are consistently breaking 300 miles an hour on every jump so um, i've got a bit of work to do before i'm, I'm sort of starting a chance for metal.
0: yeah yeah so did that start kind of in the military um your sky your skydiving or did you do that before that and the military just you know it was just no, a coincidence.
1: I, you know again skydiving i mean you know scotland is not i mean for skydiving you need good weather and scotland is not a place that's famed for its good weather um <laughs> So, and it's also quite expensive. I mean, well, it, it, it can be expensive. Skydiving can be expensive. It's not It's not too, it's not as bad as everybody thinks. Once, once you're trained and you've got your own kit. But, no, I, I you know, I started parachuting in the forces, uh, in the paras, and then, um, and then sort of carried that on after I left and got into more sort of recreational sports, skydiving. Um, and then from that, actually I ended up, The reason I got into speed skydiving was because I had to do some speed skydiving training because I was asked to do uh, a BBC Wildlife documentary where they wanted me to race a peregrine falcon. What?
2: Oh, my gosh. Yeah,
1: Yeah. so a peregrine falcon is the fastest animal in the world um, in a stoop, which is like a head-down uh, dive towards prey mm-hmm. it, which is what's well, been recorded the top speed's been recorded it probably does faster than this but this is scientists have only ever recorded it doing 254 miles an hour wow um, so the idea was that could i could i beat a peregrine falcon um so i did start you- tweet. Yeah, yeah yeah well yeah yeah but uh, just I <laughs> want. Yeah. um but we we yeah so start a speed having training for that and then I got I met the guy who was the sort of coach, British British team coach and sort of one of the top guys in the world at the time. Um and um we became mates and then I, I basically stuck kept the train on because it was like oh cool hang out with my mate and do some training and go to some competitions and we'd go to like this all these little different competitions in Holland and Germany and fr- uh, Portugal and places like that. So you'd, you'd just go to the competitions and hang out and, and compete and and I kinda got into it that way. Um yeah. It's, it's quite it's quite, it's a niche sport within a yeah. niche sport. So, you know.
2: So like um would you say that or actually which one do you like more? Scuba diving or skydiving? Like what what would be like I mean I know that's those are two so different things, so it's hard to choose, but like I guess if you like if someone was was to ask you, all right, we're about to go skydiving, or we're about to go scuba
1: diving, which one do you want to do? Depends. It depends on where you're going diving. Mm, okay. Um, because skydiving is always good it's always good well actually sky, skydiving you know you, obviously it's it's much warmer and, and nicer yeah. in Arizona than yeah. it is in UK, frankly even on a good day but um you know free falls free fall the sky's the sky pretty much apart from the temperature and maybe the view but you know jumping out from fifteen thousand feet it, it, it's it's more about what you're going to do on the jump and who you're jumping with that makes mm-hmm. it cool or not yeah and with the, with the diving um you know uh, I mean, I, I die. I don't do a huge amount of scuba diving anymore. Most of it's either free diving, so doing it on a breath, or, or it's or it's rebreather stuff. So it's technical diving in caves. So I'm using a rebreather, which is mm-hmm. the same technology astronauts use. So it recycles your breath. So you don't produce any bubbles and you just breathe in. It, it scrubs out the CO2 and oh, it wow. means you can spend like, you know, six hours underwater and, and, and at any depth. It's kind of irrelevant. Breathing mixed gases, it's not breathing air. You're breathing like a mix of tr- um, helium and nitrogen, and oxygen, uh, and the, the mix of the, the ratios of those gases it depends on what depth you're going to go to. Okay, um, interesting. But yeah, but, I mean, I, you know, I've dived some horrible places that are like the n- vis is nil. There's nothing to see. Um, you know, the vis, was we'll say vis, I mean visibility. You can't see anything underwater because it's really muddy. It's cold. Well, that's just rubbish whereas you know going free from a short short fin uh, mako sharks off the coast of california that's pretty cool So yeah. uh or diving in like ice caves and icebergs and in, in, uh, off the coast of greenland again that's that's pretty cool so i think i think it would be i'd want a few more details than just diving i in got you. yeah um
2: well all right actually all right i guess moving on uh to another one uh so what is like what's the scariest play or um expedition or like what have you had like any instances where like you were just like like you didn't know what was about to happen or like something like just unexpected happened on like an expedition
1: yeah i mean i'm i'm a massive control freak uh, as most of the people that do sort of things I, I, I you know there's always this this kind of perception that cave dives or skydives or stuntmen are all like adrenaline junkies you know just crazy crazy people mm-hmm. it's true they're all very or most of them are calculated and controlled. Wow. Um okay. And the idea, the idea is to try and predict things as much as possible. Because you're looking at something like cave diving, which, which would seem super, super dangerous, can, can be made very safe if you think through, right, what do I want to happen? But also, a bit of healthy paranoia, okay, what's all the things that can go wrong? And then you go, right, now, can I prevent these things from going wrong? The chances are, probably not. You can't guarantee... Uh, in fact, it was Clint Eastwood who said, if you, if you want a guarantee, buy a toaster. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so, um, so you go, okay, well, let's, let's let's assume all these things that could go wrong will go wrong. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do better? What equipment do I need? Which is why my rebreather, I've had for years and years and years and years, has never failed me once. But I still get in the water, assuming it will fail and at the worst possible point, like you know, at the deepest point, at the furthest point inside the cave. Mm-hmm. So I can't bail out gas, bail out breathing gas and, and all that sort of stuff, or bail out rebreather to make sure that in inverted comments, when it fails, I can still get out in one piece. So uh yeah, a bit of pre-planning and, and and healthy paranoia and sort of that effect is you know, risk assessment and risk management is is the way to do it. And there's always that um there's always that little uh, I think, like, I don't, I don't really get adrenaline rushes or all that stuff from jumping out of planes anymore because you're like, well, I know, I, I've been. It's not, <laughs> the, it's not the, the that because I can, I can manage the risk and manage the danger. It's, it's like as with everyone else, it's the unknown. Mm. So the only time you might get a little, ooh, a little, little sort of um, exciting kind of flutter um, is if you're doing something new. So maybe we're we're doing a stunt, we're testing out costumes that are, you know, quite bulky, there's a lot of stuff hanging off them, you go, okay, mm. this is a bit different. It's a bit unusual, I'm, I'm and no one knows what's going to happen on this jump, they could spin you up, the costume could rip apart, we don't know what's going to happen, yeah. that's what we're testing them, and that's when you go, ooh, okay, this is this is a little bit exciting. I mean, yes, the, the other day, we're doing a, a stunt where, um, I, I, we can't say too much, but they were basically dumping a huge amount of water into this room, um, I, I we were all going to get bashed around, but, um, we didn't know what was going to happen. So rather than loads of us in there, they had um, like sort of five of us. They said, right, we're going to, we're going to dump half the water and see what happens. Yeah. And if it, everything goes well, we'll dump a bit more and then a bit more up to 100%. So um, but even the study, like, okay, I, I, but no one's got any idea what's going to happen. Are we <laughs> going to hit us? Nothing's going to happen? Are we going to hit us? We're just going to be like smashed against the, the roof and the walls and, you My know. God. So um, it's... Um, yeah, it wouldn't be that bad, but but you know, so um, you know, you there's probably that that's probably when you get a little bit of a, of a sort of adrenaline rush is is, is when you're dealing those unknown sort of quantities. That's wow, that's <laughs>
0: that's awesome. Um, and I mean, I kind of want to ask: Is that why the stuntman thing started? Because you were looking for something new. Because obviously, you said you started it in about 2019. So,
1: is that kind of what were you looking for? No, I, you know, um, like I've been doing sort of stunts for documentaries for a while, but then I, uh, it, it seemed, you know, again, it, it was, it's, it's a lot of these things, not necessarily closed shops, but until your eyes are open to them, it's you don't think about how the hell you'd even get into them. So what happened was, um, I ended up doing some underwater work on the film for a few weeks, um, and that all worked out really well. So the stunt coordinator who's the sort of head of the stunt department asked me to stay on do some more underwater work, uh, on the film, uh, and some, and some sort of tuition with some of the cast and, and, and other stunt guys. Um, and then there was some sort of military scenes. So he said, Oh, can you stay on and you know, your next forces, can you do that? And then some of those scenes had a lot of abseiling rope work in it. And he's like, well, you're an ex like mountain guide and climbing instructor and that stuff. Can you stay on for that? So I ended up basically staying on the whole year. Um, I mean, I still wait, mean. Wait, so for what movie was this? It was No Time to Die. Oh, okay, all right, so yeah. Um, so, so yes, yeah, it's, it's part of this, this, this sort of stunt team, and 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 what I love to say, it wasn't I mean, You know, you being a stunt stunt performer on on a Bond film, it's it's it is a cool thing to do, already. and it's such good fun. But genuinely, it was the people that was like, yeah, this is, I've, got, I've kind of found found my tribe here. I want to I want to stick with this. I thought so. At the end of it, I was like, right, I need to. I want to continue doing this sort of work because I'm, you know, I'm loving what I'm doing. I'm loving the people I'm doing it with. Um, yeah. I don't go about doing that. And they're like, well, you need to get on the, the British stunt register. Um, I was like, okay, right. How do I do that? And then you looked at what, what disciplines you need to do. And I've already got like the underwater stuff, the climbing stuff, <laughs> the skydiving stuff, all counted. There's a few things I didn't have. Um, so, um, and there's, there's you can do stunt driving. So that was fine. Um, mm-hmm. so what I ended up doing in the end, you have to have a fighting skill, uh, basically, a black belt and something, um or, or a certain sort of list of stuff. If you want to do boxing or something like that, it doesn't have the belt system, but there's ways to qualify on that. On that, so I go right. I need to, I need to train, get a black belt in martial art, and then of the other disciplines, you could have, you, you could have six disciplines uh, as well as a few other things. um I decided to do horse riding, so I had never <laughs> ridden horse in my life. I was like, right, I'm going to pass the British Stunt Register. Stunt rider's horse test. This is what I'm going to go and do. So, um, yeah, I um, I spent a lot of time falling off horses, learning to <laughs> ride horses well. Um, yeah, because the, the part of the test is 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 quite involved. Um, you know, and it you have got a thing, I got a lot actually, but including things like you know, jumping fences, bareback, and and all this sort of stunt work on horses. So that was a new skill that I picked up um yeah and then so and what you know then i was i got i got on the register um and um yeah that definitely opens doors for you
2: um, yeah i mean it sounds like it holy crap so wait all right there's um i don't know all right so there's this term or not term there's this uh phrase going around kind of like uh in the states right now and i don't know, i feel like that, that you could relate to this a lot and it's uh it says or it's called uh the more you f- around the more you'll find out I feel like that is like one of the perfect,
1: um, phrases that would describe you. I think I've seen that It's you know, on social media and it's usually, usually with a video of somebody trying something and then properly getting messed up, <laughs> Yeah, which <Yeah>. is, <laughs> it's, it's true, but it's also, I'd say almost the opposite is true as well. The more you f- around, the more you find out is absolutely true. But not in the sense that often well, how I've seen it kind of, you know, it's been stuck on a realist like on that where mm. somebody's like tried something and then just got badly hurt. Yeah. Because I think you can learn, you know, provided you don't, provided you walk away from it, you can mm. learn a huge amount, huge amount, you know. And that's sometimes the problem is that, you know, sometimes you give talks to, 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 to companies or, 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 or things like that about risk and mm. and. Th- Risk is a good thing because, and, and certainly with, like my kids, I've got two little kids and I let them, you know, handle axes and light fires. I mean, you know, under supervision, they're only like five and seven, but, um, and I let them, you know, I've heard the, I've heard the phrase, try, let them try dangerous things safely. So, you know, mm-hmm. because you've got to learn how to deal with risk, um, For two reasons: one, if you don't, you're going to lead a pretty boring life. But secondly, you know, inevitably life will throw up dangers in your path. It just will happen. Mm -hmm. And if you've you've never had to deal with that, if you've been kept wrapped up in cotton wool your entire life, you won't have the tools to deal with that dangers. And then you are, frankly, you know, the people that are cave diving, skydiving, X forces, or even do any of these sports, they've they've and they've done it for long enough. You know, some people do do it kind of recklessly but they won't last long like you know you don't find any um any reckless cave divers or not for more than you know a few weeks um so you 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 can have gained all these and they are specific tools but also there's some applications to the rest of the world if you know how to mitigate risk cave diving or skydiving you can apply that to other situations when bad things happen you can go okay Right. And your brain is trained, I think, to, to cope with these high stress situations. So um, you know, the but yet yeah, the more you f about, the more you find out. But I would definitely encourage people to f about. Yeah,
0: nice. All right. That's pretty freaking awesome. I like that. That was awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. So I mean, is that kind of like your life model a little bit like um, you know, what what kind of what what do you live by kind of like to Will yourself
1: to do these stunts. I mean, you know, what's, what's your, your philosophy? philosophy? Yeah, <laughs> On philosophy. I do not know. That's a hard one. Um, I mean, for for me, I think you've you've always got to be moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. you know, people tend to, as they get older tend to kind of go, okay, I, I'm I'm done now. You know, I can't I can't learn new things. I can't do new things. Hey, uh, you can you got to keep you got to keep evolving, and that that keeps you kind of motivated. And and I think. You know, never, never retire, never retire, retire. You know, you can try for me a job. but don't retire from life. If you try for me a job, find another job, or find a hobby, or find something to get you out of bed, to, and always be pushing. Like I'm never. If I reach the goal, then change to just push the goal further on. You know, I think that I, I think for for a while I thought I was always running and go run, 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 run towards the goal. And you kind of think, oh my god, one day I'll, I want to just cross the finish line and stop. And now I've now realised that'd be a bad thing. Stopping mm-hmm. would be a bad thing. Um. But also, I think that um, you know, in order to develop, certainly develop at the fastest, most effective rate, you need to get out of your comfort zone, and that's across the board. It doesn't matter whether it's 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 kind of mental work, you know, like kind of a, academic work, you know, whether it's just you know going to the gym. Like you know, your, your muscles only grow if you trash them. You can't just do. You know, one set of five in a mega light way and expect to get fit. It's not going to happen. Same with when I was horse riding. So, the, the, when I was learning to the, the ride horses, stunt, stunt ride, you know, I could have taken years and years and years and, and progressed very slowly and then consolidated and I didn't. It's like, now nah, we need to just be, we need to be always making progress, which meant I fell off a lot because I'm constantly either at or beyond my capability. You're going to fall mm-hmm. off a lot. That's the best way to train. And the thing about being, what, stepping outside of your comfort zone not only does every time you step out of your comfort zone, you then be comfortable in that new zone, it's your actual comfort zone, your sphere of comfort expands, but also it becomes easier and easier to step outside of your comfort zone because you become more comfortable with the discomfort, if that makes sense. By mm-hmm. that, I mean, like I, when I was learning horse drivers, even when I learned the, I learned the paramotor uh, uh, recently, and, you know, in your first flight, you know, your your heart's racing, you know, your fucking palms are sweaty. You know all this sort of normal kind of nervous responses. But I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. It's just a natural physiological response, and I've had it dozens, hundreds of times before mm. doing new things or doing things that I wasn't sure what was happening. It's like, oh yeah, cool. I, I recognise this for what it is, and it's fine. You know, you can you can kind of like, you can think through it and go, no, everything's safe. I know what I'm doing. The kit works i'm happy i've got the skills and drills this is perfectly safe my body is a little bit scared but my mind is fine and the fact that it's my heart's racing and i'm palms sweaty is not a drama because i recognize it for what it is yeah in fact i've been here before so it's it's fine that is
2: that's freaking awesome yeah i guess getting yeah getting uh comfortable with the uncomfortable that's a pretty freaking awesome phrase i love it um so i guess uh uh, we only got a couple more questions for you, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. They're gonna be a little funny. Um, so you said that you've uh, been to the United States uh, a couple times. Uh, so have you do you know what Bucky's is? Have you heard of that? Buckys yes it no. it's it's hey this is gonna sound really weird to you then. <laughs> um it's a it's a really big gas station in Texas um and a lot of people really like it because it's got basically like anything you would want but like it's a gas station so it's really weird and they have like the fanciest bathrooms you've ever seen so i don't know um i don't know that's something that we've been asking everyone that we're interviewing but (laughs) like
1: a super posh
0: walmart or something yes basically basically yeah Yeah, it's it's crazy because you would never think that this is just a gas station when you walk in there (laughs) yeah um and yeah i don't know we we've been asking everyone that and we heard you've been to the states we're like maybe yeah just maybe just maybe because oh,
1: no, I, you know, I, I texas on my list like, i've been to Arizona. i've, I've passed through mississippi and alabama uh and florida i've done florida for quite, uh-huh. quite a few times um california a few times um boston I, I climbed up the outside of a twelve story glass building in Boston. Oh, like a, did you oh my gosh. That's freaking, actually, you know, I think I saw that video. Was there a video of that? Yeah, it was the EF building, Education Frost Building in Boston. Big twelve story glass glass building. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but but I've not been to Texas yet. But if I well when I go, it's on the list. When oh. I get to Texas, I will check out Bucky's. Please do. You should. Yeah, absolutely. Um
2: shoot, hold on. I can't hold on. Oh yeah, okay which office do you like better the British version or the UK version or the American version?
1: (laughs) I haven't really watched either. I've seen bits of the British version, bits of the American version, but I haven't really watched either. (laughs) I found the British one quite uncomfortable, you know, I mean, it's it's funny because it's so uncomfortable because it's so close to truth, but I was watching, I'm not sure I can watch this because it's so, (laughs) it's so, which is, you know, credit to the the makers. I'm like, uh, I think the the clips, the American ones, the the worker I've seen, I found it, uh, more sort of, it was more funny in the way that I could kind of just relax a little bit because it wasn't, I didn't find it as cringy, cringeworthy, Mm -hmm. but maybe that's because it didn't seem as real to me. Whereas the office in the UK, I'm like, Oh my God, I, I know people that it was so, it's so close to the truth. I think that, um, that I found it hard viewing so yeah. that was a bit, was a bit easier to watch. Yeah. I definitely think the, the English humor is more
0: like, I'm going to make you guys cringe and like put really uncomfortable situations <laughs> because I remember watching that and exactly. It was, it was a really hard show to watch
1: the, 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 um, the American office, like some of the guys are mega stars now. Like Steve. Yeah. And uh, oh, he's the guy who's, who's married to, um, he's oh god he's has an amazon series What's yeah called?
2: wait so are you talking about john krasinski yes. yes okay so yeah he's married to
0: emily blunt i think yes. yeah mm-hmm. well himself. No, and he's got yeah as you said he's got that huge series right now that yeah he's working on yeah
1: he's he's um you know you look back at the and office at him and you wouldn't think he'd be a you know no. a big box office uh, action star by now yeah
0: Oh, I had one. Um, did you did you meet Daniel Craig like um like James Bond when you're on the on the set? Like how how was that?
1: Cool. Oh, yeah, he's you know what, genuinely. And you you know you hear this all the time in the movie. People always go, "Everyone's great, everyone's great." Everyone's great. genuinely lovely, lovely fella, lovely guy. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. But, yeah, genuinely nice, nice, nice guy. I found him like super down to earth actually. Um, just just yeah, really cool, really cool. Well, that's really cool. I'm glad to glad to hear that.
2: I always love it whenever there's like actors or people that just like, even though they're so high up there, that like just are so down to earth. Kind of like you. I mean, you are like a really cool guy. I'm really happy that you uh, came on the show. So I don't know. It's just it's kind of cool, but um,
0: I mean, I I don't have any more questions to you. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're good. Um, so. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been another episode of The Dorm Room. Andy, we've had so much fun, and we hope you have too. Yeah, man. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Absolutely. So, everyone, I'm Charlie Rook. This is Baxter Friedman. And we're signing off for today, and we'll catch you next time on The Dorm Room.